So hello everybody, welcome to a cop on preview special. Um, it's absolutely delicious that the Premier League is back and um, there's a very, I've, I don't know, it's just lovely. I'm going to bring you as many um, opposition fan uh, opinion shows as I can this season and I'm absolutely delighted to have Joe uh, on the line uh, from... Uh, Turfcast podcast. Joe, welcome to Cop On. Can you tell our listeners about Turfcast, please? Yeah, it's um, as you said, it's it's called Turfcast podcast. So that you know, the clues in the name. It's it's a podcast. But um, uh, recently, we've done. I say recently, I've been doing it for a couple of years. We've done a lot more video stuff, and that tends to be the avenue that I'm looking to go down. A lot, a lot of video stuff, and keeping the podcast as well. Um, we do have a YouTube channel, um, and we're quite active on all social medias, even TikTok now, because that's what the that's what's all the rage, apparently, with the kids. So I've, I've done a few things on TikTok. I even had a video that had 1.2 million views. So that's my that's my claim to fame. Um, but, yeah, we're a podcast. You can search as uh, Turfcast Podcast on pretty much all the podcast apps and, of course, YouTube as well, which is what we do a lot of these days. Fantastic. 1.2 million views. What was it? Was it a, a painting of Sean Dyche in the nude? No, well, um, that would, you know what? That's a really good idea. I think that would get at least double. Um <laughs> But there was a clip that surfaced a few years ago, admittedly. Um, I didn't film it myself, again, admittedly. But, you know, it's it's TikTok. So it's, it's I use the term fair game loosely, but that's what I'm going with. Um, but there was, when we were warming up a couple of years ago, um, Johan Berggummersen hit a shot. And in typical Johan Berggummersen fashion, it, it, it ballooned over the bar, come back into the crowd and, and hit a lady smack bang in the middle of the face and and it, that's not even just that the the, the full story it kind of like hits her in the face but she just like puts her head back and then puts her fingers through her hair and then she's she's fine she just looks forward as in like and she just proper takes it like an absolute champion and it, it's just an amazing sort of like bit of clip uh really it's just fantastic um and look, that's it uh, gosh gosh but let's uh, let's move on we, we, we've got um loads to talk about regarding the weekend um the pre the premier league started from last weekend of course um you know you were back at turf more uh the burnley fans were there um and i was listening to another podcast sorry to bring up an enemy but uh the uh, no nay never but a burnley podcast and one of the fans on there said you know, it didn't really matter about the result that you'd lost to Brighton at the end of the day because it was just so great to be back in the ground. Is that something you agree with? No. Um, it was looking at our run of fixtures. We've got a tough run of fixtures now. I did. I don't want to go full, like, you know, fanatic and all overreacting uh, on you or whatever, but... Even before a ball was kicked, when I saw that fixture list, I was like, this Brighton game is actually quite big here because we could lose that Brighton game and then we could end up being in the similar position we was last season where we didn't get our first win till early to mid-October. Now we've lost that game against Brighton. I think we are in a position now where we might not get our first win till early mid-October. And then obviously after that, you, you, you're, you're climbing a, a mountain for the rest of the season. You never really get going. You're always looking over your shoulder. Um, so it was important to start early. We haven't done Um and it was quite disappointing. And yeah, especially going one nil up and the way we played in the first half, we should have been three nil up, to be honest, at half time. We hit the bar, we hit the post, and obviously we scored the goal. 
We should have been 3-0 up. Second half, completely different team. No idea what happened. Completely different team. We didn't press as high up the pitch and we didn't get our shape right uh, defending as well. And, uh, and people in midfield weren't tracking the runners. Admittedly, Graham Potter changed it and he overloaded the midfield because that's where we were winning the battle. And then in the second half, Brighton won that battle. Um, but that's the perils of being a Burnley manager and a Burnley fan. Like, There's not been any investment in the first 11 for nigh on four years now so when you see the likes of graham potter who you know is is at a club like brighton who yeah they've spent well but you know they're not you know they're not a big club you know they're not you know your liverpool's or your manchester united's or anything like that and again sorry to bring up an enemy um but when you see in brighton bringing on you know the sort of players like adam alana so you'll, you'll know very well um came on and and just changed the game and and helped them change their system and, like I said, change the game. And then you can't respond to that. And that's where we fell short at the weekend. Sean Dyche couldn't respond. He might have wanted to do something to counteract Potter's tactics, but he couldn't do. Uh, and even when he did, to be fair, Sean Dyche's subs, that's where Sean has his faults, really. Um, his subs have always been poor. They've always been very, very poor. Uh, and he brings on Ashley Barnes when we're 1-0 up. Um, instead of Mate Vidra, for me, which I would have brought on to try and kill the game and get the second, he brings on Ashley Barnes and everyone's perplexed in the stands and he's asked afterwards, why did you bring on Barnes? And his answer was, he's better at defending from the front. Uh, from the front. And that, to me, just sums up the mindset that he had at that moment in time. It should be, go and get the game, go and kill the game, not defend from the front. And obviously, he comes on to defend from the front, uh, from the front and within 15, 20 minutes after that, we're 2-1 down, so it, it didn't even work. So yeah, it's it's a shame, but fingers crossed we can you know start picking up some wins pretty soon. Obviously, this weekend might be a bit of a dead rubber for us, but we'll see. Well, you did very well the last time you were at Anfield. I was looking at the the Liverpool starting lineup that day. You know, the last time when it was Ashley Barnes' penalty, wasn't it? But um, uh, I think Origi started and Shakiri started, and we had Fabinho at centre back. And, you know, I honestly think that the, well, I'm 100% sure that the lineup will be completely different uh, this weekend. But I wonder about Burnley's lineup because against Brighton, just for our listeners, because uh, they won't know this, your lineup was uh, Pope Ingle, fabulous keeper, by the way, uh, Lowton, Tarkovsky, uh, Ben Mee, and Charlie Taylor at the back. And then in midfield, you had Goodmanson, Westwood, uh, Jack Cork, and McNeil. And then up front, uh, Chris Wood Jay, and Jay Rodriguez. So, um, classic four-four-two. Uh, you know, a Sean Dyche style. Um, I imagine you you you'll keep the same uh, formation, but will it be with the same players? Do you think? Um, you never know with Sean Dyche. I would personally have Josh Brownell in the middle over Jack Cork, and I would personally start with Matteo Vidra over Jay Rodriguez. That the Burnley t- your Burnley team is like you say. It's always going to be that formation. It's always going to be four-four-two. You can nigh on guess, not even guess, you can nigh on getting nine players out of the 11 right every single week. Um, and for me, the, on, the only changes that are physically possible are maybe bringing Josh Brownell in for either Jack Cork or Ashley Westwood. Jack Cork is the more likely. Or maybe even put Brownell on, on the wings, um, which is something Sean likes to do, even though he's a central midfielder. Um, and that is probably something that might happen against uh, a team where you're going to be doing more defending. Um, obviously Liverpool will be on the front foot you would think for the majority of the game so the chances are we'll be doing more defending so he might put Josh on on the right um, I would personally like to see um, Josh in the middle 
um, with Goodmanson on the right and McNeil on the left uh, for as poor as he was in the second half on, on Saturday. And up front, again, Chris Wood's going to start if he's there. If he's if he's available, he's started. He's the best striker we've got at the club and I've, done, I've had for quite a while. Um, but the only other sort of thing you can change up there is the second striker. And I don't know why he went with Jay Rodriguez. I've heard rumours that uh, Matt Vidra has come back from his summer break a little bit overweight and Sean Dyche isn't happy about that, but that's nothing that's been published or anything. It's just what I've heard. And to be fair, I know a few people quite closely connected with the club, so I don't really doubt it. Um, but he, he went to the Euros, um, did Vidra. Um, didn't really play much. Um, but then after that, as soon as the Czech Republic got knocked out, he's gone home and, and got married. So I presume he's probably been on a honeymoon as well. So... It, it kind of you put two and two together. You think maybe maybe there is something in that, but um, I'd still go with him. I still think he's you know him and Woody link up brilliantly. Um, and the second half of our form, sorry, the second half of the season form that we had last season was because he decided to try Vidra up front uh, and he started to link up really well with Chris Wood. And then that helped Chris Wood's form because someone else was doing something up front with him rather than Jay or Ashley Barnes, who do tend to be quite static. But they're the only two people that you'd see changed. Any other changes will be um, a, either a, a massive shock or B because of an injury. Well, having lived for a couple of years in the Czech Republic, I do I can you know tell you that they do a fabulous line in goulash. So that could have been uh, you know Vidra's problem, uh, but um, uh, yeah. So apart from Vidra, if he if he does start, um, Ashley Barnes because he always causes Liverpool a problem, and Chris Wood. Um, who I think is a very underrated striker. I think he's a very, yeah, very good striker. Um, is there, you know, any any other threats that you can see from Burnley? I mean, McNeil maybe if he if he yeah, plays- McNeil's the one there out of the out of the ones that you didn't mention. McNeil's problem is he's asked to do a lot of defending, uh, and I do think that it's not really his style. Uh, one of the goals at the weekend was McNeil not tracking his runner, um, and it happens three or four times a season. Um, and that's why sometimes Sean Dyche is likely to play people like Brownell, who are more defensive-minded, but put them on the wing, knowing that they'll track the runners, for example, or, you know, two banks of four, that sort of thing. But going forward, McNeil's brilliant. He, For me, I think he could easily be playing in a team, you know, um, probably not the, you know, the, the big four Um probably getting Arsenal these days to be fair because they're a shambles but you know your Everton's and your West Ham's and even your Leicester's I know, I know they traditionally have been finishing in, in you know the top four recently and things like that but I'm talking in terms of size I think he could he could, he could do a job there especially with a few players getting on a little bit there but you know he's a very very good footballer going forward and I do think sometimes I do wish I should um, let the shackles off a little bit be able to see what he do a lot of people want to see him in like a number 10 role behind the, the front two I I wouldn't be too adverse to that. I think he would actually do quite well in that because then he wouldn't need to worry about tracking back and things like that. Um, do I ever think Sean Dyche will do that? No, I can't ever see Sean Dyche playing, you know, three up front or should I say like a, a you know, four, three, one, two or whatever. So, um, yeah, McNeil's our most creative player without a shadow of a doubt. Um, Chris Wood is our best finisher. Uh, Vidra's probably our best sort of like mover. He'll, he'll move a lot off the ball. Um, other than that, really, yeah, there's not really much much threat in the Burnley side. You know, fullbacks are okay going forward, but I'm not sure they'll get forward much at Liverpool. Yeah, great answer. Yeah, thank you. And if you were, this is a question I like to ask opposition fans. If you were setting up your, uh, sorry, a team, if you were to set up Liverpool to play against your team, what weaknesses would you would you say you know that Burnley have that Liverpool should try to exploit? 
Um, well, just in case Jürgen's listening to this, I'm not going to answer that question. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> well, just, just, yeah. <laughs> just, just, I'd say just be relentless. Um, the reason why we don't traditionally do as well against Manchester City as we do against you, uh, honestly, it's, it's a running joke in Burnley and Manchester now that it will always finish 5-0 to Manchester City, at Manchester City. Um, and there was even a few jokes this summer when they obviously spent a ridiculous amount of money on Jack Grealish. A lot of Burnley fans are saying, oh, well, it's going to finish 6-0 now to City uh, when they play us uh, because they've had a Grealish. But they're just <laughs> relentless. They will... To be fair, Liverpool, in Jürgen's uh, the season that you won it, um, you know, you were quite relentless then. I just think last season, obviously, you had your injury issues. Obviously, I've got, everybody listens to this will know that. So you weren't as relentless. You just need to be just constantly wave of attack, of attack, of attack. And, that, and that's what City do. They do not let you rest. You know, as soon as you get rid of the ball, you know it's coming back because Pep has that, um, is it 10 second thing um, where as soon as City lose the ball, do everything you can within them 10 seconds, uh, 10 seconds to get the ball back and then you try and fall back into shape to start thinking about defending. That's where mm-hmm. City are relentless compared to Liverpool. As soon as we have the ball, they're in our faces again. They're getting it back. They're pressing us. And then as soon as they get that ball, they're attacking. There's no respite for the defenders. So it's normally 3-0 at half-time against Man City. And the, even Tarkin and Ben Mee, who are very good defenders, especially James Tarkovsky, you know, he's had a lot of interest from you know Leicester and West Ham. We've stood strong, but it means now we're probably going to lose him in the summer for free. Um, they're just knackered by half-time and there's not really much they can do. Um, so, yeah, that's... Jürgen, if you're listening, don't do that. Um, but yeah, if, if you want to get results against Burnley, just just be relentless and attackers and pressers. I, I think Liverpool are going to be pretty good at being relentless this season with uh, with all of our players back. Um, but yeah, okay. Um, thank you for that. Yeah, great answer. Um, and what, what do you think from the outside of Liverpool this season? Because I looked uh, at 42. I counted 42 journalists and pundits uh their pre-season predictions and and none of them had liverpool uh, winning the league i think only maybe two of them had liverpool finishing second and i wonder if this is uh you know the old jibe that liverpool are, are deluded because all the liverpool fans i speak to I, i'm sure all the listeners are feeling absolutely rosy about this season that you know it could once again be our year from the outside are we just kidding ourselves because city have got the big guns and the big money and chelsea have too um I think I think the top three will be City, Chelsea, Liverpool in any particular order. Um, if I was pressed for an answer, I'd say City will probably win it because they were the better side last season. They spent a lot of money again, obviously. Could even add more quality in Harry Kane. I don't actually think that will happen in the end, but that's a different debate. But yeah, I understand what you're saying because Liverpool are sort of going under the radar a little bit here because you know, you've not really done what City have done and you know splashed £100 million on a player. But what you are doing is you're getting your players back. And that's why you were so poor last season, because you missed a lot of your players from the season where, where you won it, where, of course, you were fantastic. And the season before that as well, which a lot of people forget about, but I'm sure you lot don't. I think you only lost one or two games that season, and you were brilliant that season as well. Um, it's just that City was just one point better than you all. Um, so, it's it's yeah, I think you are going under the radar a little bit. I'm, I'm not overly... Like, fond of uh, of Chelsea's chances I know a lot of people I don't know if they're trying to be hipsters and to you know just to choose somebody different to City and Liverpool I think if I were going to be pushed for an answer on the top three I'd say City Liverpool and then I think Chelsea will finish you know a few points behind them too I think it'll be them two going for it um 
with Chelsea behind. Um, but Lukaku is obviously a brilliant ad. Um, he wasn't very good at Manchester United, um, but he's done quite well at Inter Milan. He's lost a lot of weight um, and he was okay in the Euros as well. So it will see. If City had Kane, then we could probably all pack up and go on now, to be honest. But but then he's... We were, I, I was thinking this about Grealish. I thought Grealish should hit the ground running. He, all right, it's been two games. I'm not going to call him a flop or anything. I'm not going to go overboard. But, you know, he's, he's got to take time to find his feet. Of course he has. It's the same if, you know, I started a new job tomorrow or, you know, yourself did or any of your listeners did. You've always got to find your feet first in a new system with a new manager and new players around you. So Grealish will do that. It might take City a while to start getting in the swing of things. But... It was the same last season. City had a poor start. But you did look very, very good at the weekend. I'll give you that. Yeah, great answer. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yeah, okay. Interesting though. Yeah, okay. I'm, well, I can talk for, for an hour uh, about why I would disagree that Harry Kane is the final piece of the jigsaw to make uh, City unstoppable. I really don't think they are. But I want to talk about Burnley again. Because um, a big problem that is very obvious to Burnley fans and uh, non-Burnley fans like me is the age of your squad and as you said you, you haven't really invested in the last four years and there's but there are big rumours swirling around about Maxwell Cornet uh, coming from Lyon and I and I asked our French football expert Liam um, who's a contributor to Cop On and he writes about French football and he has his own podcast about Lyon and he's watched every single game that Cornet has played for them and he said he is ass and I'm very sorry for that one word review about your potential signing but um, um, you know are you beginning to panic uh, about the lack of activity? You bought, you bought one player in from Stoke City for 14 million euros. But apart from that, um, I don't know. What, what, how do you feel about the transfer activity in general? Yeah, I'll, I'll reserve full judgment until you know the end of the window, when the window shuts 31st, 1st of September, whenever it is. It seems to change every single year. But Nathan Collins, as you mentioned from Stoke, obviously for £12 million, he came in quite early on in the window. And he's a decent acquisition as backup for James Tarkovsky or Ben Mee. And it's good to get him in now, knowing that Tarky is leaving in the summer. Well, probably leaving in the summer because his contract runs out. And he will then slot in, hopefully, we're still in the Premier League nice and easily because he'll have been at Burnley for a year and he'll see how we play, how we set up, that sort of thing, uh, rather than just buying someone and throwing him in. Um, but yeah, like I said, we, we've not bought a first-team player for somebody who's going to come in and slot straight into the side since Chris Wood. And that he's been at the club now for three and a half, four years. Um, and obviously that was because of the, the, the previous stewardship um, of the chairman. We've obviously since changed chairmen. We changed it early in January. Um, but that's because he knew he was selling the club. Um, so he wanted a healthy balance sheet rather than a healthy squad because that looked better for any potential investors, um, which, you know, I'm not really all clued up on that sort of thing, but I can understand I can understand that. It would have been good if he could try and maintain both because now we're in a position where there's new owners come in and he's got to invest in the squad immediately. Um, so, yeah, Maxwell Corner is obviously a big rumour. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't know much about him until we were linked with him. Um, all I've done now is what I can do and watch YouTube videos on him. But honestly, I could do a YouTube video of myself and I would look good. So I am taking that with a pinch of salt. Um, <clears throat> I don't know any French football experts, so unfortunately I can't ask any of them. Um, but um, yeah, from what I see on on the YouTube, as you know, as as, as the kids don't call it, um, is he's quite pacey. 
and that's something that we need because we spend a lot of time with our backs against the wall and defending and we can need somebody to to drag us up the pitch and to get high up to Chris Wood and, and, and things like that. And sometimes we do just try and, you know, get the ball over to Chris Wood and then he can bring it down because that's what he's really, really good at. And then if we've got a Maxwell corner running off him, I can understand why that would be the appeal. But um, yeah, again, like I said, when it comes to the transfer window, I'll reserve judgment, but bodies are needed. Um, and young bodies, preferably, please, because like you said, that the squad is old. Every time the club puts a tweet up about it being somebody's birthday, it always seems to be happy birthday to so-and-so who is 30-something today. It, it just seems, again, that's like a running joke. And it's coming. It's looking like Aaron Lennon's re-signing, which, you know, uh, just sums Burnley's transfer activity up. But again, he's the wrong side of 30. So, yeah, we need we need young people and we need young people coming in uh, quickly. What, what one or two a transfer window will help because... You know the squad, the spine of the squad is still good enough, I think, to keep us in the Premier League. But as as the, the you know the lads keep getting older, because Ben Mee's the wrong side of thirty, um, you know, there's a lot of them the wrong side of thirty as well. Paul Pear is still young as our talker, but them two are obviously um, probably you could would imagine Tarkey's like I said going to leave in the summer, and Paul Pear potentially next summer as well. So we'll see. But yeah, bodies and investment needed, please. Excellent answer. Um, thank you very much, Joe. I just got one more thing to talk about um, before I let you go, and I think it's quite quite an important thing. Um, it's about how Burnley is perceived against um, the reality of what Burnley is. Um, there's a, a member of uh, of Copon, uh, the the family, one of our uh, contributors and regular listeners, who. Um, Actually, I was talking to him about Burnley, and he was—he lives in America, and he's a—he's a black man. He's an African American, uh, and he was saying, uh, "Burnley, well, that's a—that's a racist club." Uh, and uh, Aubrey has been, you know, following football for just a couple of years. He got into it after the uh, Colin Kopernik, um saga just totally yeah. put him off the NFL, and so he decided. Um, you know, watching uh, soccer and he got really into the Reds and he loves watching Liverpool. And I was surprised, I was taken aback. And then he said, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, look at the, the White Lives Matter plane that was uh, flown by a Burnley fan. And then, you know, there were reports on the weekend of, um, you know, the the the... Um, the, when the players took the knee, there were some boos from the Burnley crowd. But then when I was checking your Twitter feed, you know, it, it, it's very interesting because you were saying, well, yeah, but what about all of the people who, who drowned out the booers after they started booing with warm applause, anti-racism? And it makes me think that probably Burnley's like anywhere else where the vast majority of people are anti-racism and they're anti-bigotry. And I just want you to put the record straight a little bit about what Burnley is and what, you know, how how welcoming it actually is as a club. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I don't know how an entire club can be racist, but that is something that we see quite a lot on Twitter. And obviously the man you're referring to, I presume, that's he's seen that on Twitter because that tends to be a Twitter thing. Um, and I spend a lot of time on Twitter because of this podcast and because of the platform that I have built and, and for my job as well, because, you know, I, I used to be um, a sports journalist and I used to do some news journalism as well. I actually worked in Toxworth in Liverpool for like three years, um, working on Made in Liverpool TV as the news editor. Um, so, you know, um, I understand that it has this perception. It's not just the banner, to be fair. Um, it started in the early 2000s when... 
there was race riots in Bradford, Oldham, Bolton as well, I think. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that one, so apologies to anybody listening from Bolton who, that, where that is factually incorrect. But definitely Bradford, definitely Oldham, and definitely Burnley as well. Burnley, were, it were quite bad. And it's, it's there has, back then, in the early 2000s, you know, for five, six, seven, eight years, you know, there was tension between Muslim communities and, and white communities. But we've come a long way. Like recently, and I think it's not just Burnley that's come a long way. I think this this country has come a long way. Don't get me wrong, there's still a long way to go, uh, as there is in America, um, as we've seen. Uh, it's it's the rise of the work, a, a lot of certain sort of politics as well that has kind of set us back a bit. I think recently in 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 some times, but I do feel like we've come a long way since since then. But but yeah, like um, I wouldn't gauge your opinion on a town um, or or a club. Um, via Twitter because Twitter's, Twitter's definitely not the best place to, to gauge public opinion because when you go on Twitter it's just it's, it's become a bit of a toxic platform I, I love the platform but it has become quite toxic I think has Twitter but um, yeah going back to what you said at the weekend obviously we had there was booze of course there was booze um, uh, and I say of course in like oh, not not of course because it's Burnley I mean of course there was because there's been booze pretty much up and down the country and there's even been men filming themselves in front of the TV booing at the TV and things like that I don't know if you if you saw it but there tends to be quite a lot of of booze and things like that going round and and I believe there was booze at Brentford this weekend as well uh, there was booze up and down up and down the country but for some reason because of the reputation that we have which you know the white lies banner hasn't helped but again that's just one man who's done that that's just that's just one person who's done that um so that that obviously one person doesn't speak for a town of 75 80,000 people obviously myself and, and quite a few other Burnley fans then set up a page on the back of that called Clarets Against Racism where we worked you know in you know quite close links with the club we created a video that was shown on Sky Sports it was shown on the big screen it was retweeted by Watford who we played at the time it had like hundreds of thousands of views to show that we're, that's not what this town is like and I don't know how well a lot of your viewers will will know because uh, I don't know where the base but obviously over here in England we have a um, a show called I'm a celebrity get me out get me out of here and uh, um, on it was a lad from Burnley this 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 summer called Jordan North uh, if you've seen it you'll uh, you'll understand the happy place turf more sort of thing and he's he he personifies I think Burnley for me is is um you know, he's a, a friendly lad, sort of like a, a lad, to, a, a young lad. He's friendly, he's joker, he's outgoing, and he'll, he, you know, he's always up for a laugh, and, and he'll always try and help you. And I think that's what the majority of people from Burnley are like. Don't get me wrong, we have our idiots, as as we've seen, but so does everywhere. And it's not just Burnley; it's the entire northwest. And and again, obviously, Liverpool is based in the northwest of England. Liverpool has stereotypes. Obviously, we won't go into into what, but the similar ones to Burnley as well, because. Uh, apparently, the Brighton fans responded to our booze uh, with Marcus Rashford. He's feeding your kids. Um, now there are stereotypes associated with Brighton, which, quite rightly, if if you spoke about it, you would get lambasted, of course. And that's you know, of course, you should do. Um, but why is it okay to you know to, to delve into the the stereotype of Burnley that you know I can't afford to feed my child, for example, or, or you know we're all scruffs essentially? That's just not the case. We have we have as good areas, we have as bad areas as does everywhere else. Um, so we've just got to keep carrying on, uh, and hopefully that you know I'm trying my best to 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 stop um, you know this reputation happening. Um, but yeah, it's as you saw from my Twitter feed this week. It I think it is a bit of a, a losing battle because Brighton fans, especially, I don't know what it is with Brighton fans. I'm not going to criticise the entire fan base, but every time we play a Brighton, I think it's the Jay Rodriguez thing because uh, obviously Jay Rodriguez was involved in a 
a racial incident which wasn't proven in the end, uh, but he also wasn't found innocent, so it's quite a bit of a minefield. Um, against Gaten Bong, who now plays for Nottingham Forest. Um, so I think Brighton fans have sort of like a vendetta against Jay Rodriguez and against Burnley um, because of that. But it, it is what it is um, in terms of reputation. But, you know, we're trying our best as a town, I think, and as fans to, to try and put it to bed. Uh, and I, I use my platform to try and do that anyway. But, yeah, it, it's not it's not what it's what it is. It's not a racist town. It's not a racist club. It's had incidents. But it, you could I, I could type in now on Google uh you know, a club name and then racism, and it'd bring up people being racist at that club and then being ejected from the ground or being arrested. For some reason, the Burnley ones are always blown out of proportion. But the White Lies banner, um, Burnley, I think it said, I think it said White Lies matter Burnley, and I can't remember. Uh, I've kind of put it to the back of my head. That obviously hasn't helped. But that's one man, you know. Maybe, you know, he might have done a whip round. I don't know how he did it. It was one man who took responsibility for it. He might have had a few help from a few friends. Um, but, you know, 10 men, for example, doesn't speak for, for 80,000 people. And the majority of us, like you say, aren't like that. Yeah, I think it's a really good answer. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because, as you say, there are there are idiots everywhere. There are stereotypes everywhere. And they're all wrong. And, and I would say that the Liverpool fans who, you know, were, were chanting about rent boys, for example, you know, I mean, that kind of thing is like, it's stupid and it's unnecessary yeah, and it is not representative of the majority of people. Um, who just want to be tolerant and they want to understand other people and other groups and they want to, you know, um, you know, try to, you know, accept different parts of society. That's what makes up a, a society is, is, is understanding people from different groups and, and, and working together for the, for the common good, which is always to be nice. And I'm sure that Burnley is a, a marvellous place uh, to visit whoever you are, wherever you come from, and I'm sure that lots of people there are very friendly and very good. And yeah, I want, well, I think just to just to go back onto it, I think the majority of away fans I find that actually come to the game, they always they're always and they've never been before. They're always like astounded be, like how friendly it is because just behind the turf, which is obviously what we call turf more, um, is the Burnley Cricket Club, and that is for away fans. But home fans go in it as well, and. You just all mix together. You all have a laugh. And obviously, I'm not sort of like saying praise us because we don't hit each other. Um, but, you know, that's people are like, oh, I'm so surprised that you're all so friendly. It's like, why? It's like this everywhere. I don't know why you're so, so, so surprised. You know, we're not all Neanderthals going around and saying, oh, look at him wearing a Brighton shirt. I must hit him. It's just not like that. And that's very important. That's very, very important. Um, thank you so much, Joe. That's all we've got time for for, uh, for today. But it's been absolutely enlightening talking to you and our listeners do check out Turfcast. how can our listeners uh listen to your fine work please joe yeah so you can just just search Turfcast, uh Turfcast podcast um on your podcast app it's on the itunes one it's on the google one it's on Acast. it's on spotify if you have um an uh i'm gonna say i'm gonna say the word there's one behind my computer so it might go off if you have an alexa uh, you can also just say a word um please play turfcast podcaster and it will play it um as well obviously that's um thanks to spotify so yeah but we're all also on youtube as well like i've said um, we do a lot of stuff on youtube um and i'm hoping to do more stuff on youtube but keep the podcast as well so so yeah if you if you want to give us a listen or you're or you're interested in listening to other clubs please feel free excellent stuff thank you so much joe and uh, apart from the two games against liverpool i wish you all the best for the season Thank you, you too, thank you, you too.
Thanks very much.